How's it? And welcome to Two Crickets in a Thorn Tree. I am Gabriel Krauser, and I'm hosting today because Nicholas Lorimer is a sick puppy puppy. But I'm over here still, anyway. He's still here. He just doesn't have enough energy to ask questions. So I'd like to apologize to the listeners in advance if my answers are rambling, incoherent, and don't make much sense. Yeah. But I'm not sure how you tell the difference from normal, anyway. It, he, he, he sounds exactly the same as he was. I think the only difference is he's been taking phone calls from colleagues and answering the phone, hello, baby. <laughs> this is fake news. <laughs> this is not well, it's 50% fake news. It's, some, some of it's fake news. None of it's, none of it's true. It's half fake news. It's all true. Um, it's been a little while. Uh, the never-ending uh, carrot that we dangle in front of our listeners is the question, how did slavery end? Uh, we had a really good answer from from one listener, but it was it was incomplete. It was sort of overcomplete. We've got a deep history that we're going to delve into. And we know that the people of South Africa are more concerned about this than any other question facing the nation right now. It really is. The, the great irony is that if every day on, on like primetime television, someone had asked that question, or like Balek Mbete when she was there in Al Jazeera, someone had asked her that question, I think... I think the countries would be going in a different direction. No, very much so, very much so. Because um, people don't want to talk about how slavery ended. Also, don't want to talk about how it started. Yes. But we're not going to get into that today because yes. that's the carrot. We are going to get into uh, a little bit of American politics because just to give you some context, the Institute of Race Relations, uh, we, we moved our head office to Bruma this week. Yes. Because we've, we've, we've done an a, a inside takeover of another organization you may have heard of. It's called the, what's it called again? Uh, da. Something with a it's Russian. It's the Da. Yeah, Da. Da Niet. Da Alin or something like that. Dalliance. It's French. Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, no, man. It's been quite a heavy week. Um, I think Nick maybe did get sick because of the stress. I have actually been quite bleak myself. Yeah, I'm moving a lot of stuff. It's very difficult. <laughs> it's you know, heavy. Firing so many people. We've had to fire a lot of people. Oh, we've had to fire ourselves yes. from being the Institute of Race Relations, a think tank that injects ideas into all polit parties and all policies, debates that we possibly can. We've now become the so-called think tank, according to ENCA. Dude, the best line I heard on Newsroom Africa, we are uh, on Newsroom Africa, they had a pundit who's calling us the think. <laughs> Sometimes the big think. And the soak tuned. I mean, he's not like, I want to be clear, he's not a Newsroom, newsroom Africa uh, person. He was, he's a guest. He said, I think the big think has bitten off more than it can chew. <laughs> I always knew that I was in the pay of big think. <laughs> you know, when I was a kid, people asked me, what do you want to do one day? And I said, I want to be in the big thing. <laughs> and I always want to bite off more than I can chew. Uh, that's, I do, our careers can only go up from here. I'm loving it. Yeah, the view from Bruma Lake is well, smelly. I actually live right next to Bruma Lake, which is like when people figure that out, then they're really going to think that... Uh, they realize that you live in squalor and poverty. That, well, <laughs> then they're really going to realize that I'm not being paid enough <laughs> for ruling the opposition party of this country. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Yeah. No, it's been bleak, but, and, and Nick's been sick, but he's back uh, with us. And, he, uh, and he, knows, he knows a thing or two about the Democratic primaries. Uh, yes, the Democratic the Party being, yes, that, that one. 
Um, which we're also set to take over, and and our listeners are sort of so let me, welcome to join us in this in this pilgrimage. By the time the Democratic Party of America elects a candidate, you can be sure it will be the one we want. You see, this is what they this is what the people are paying their their no money for is the, the <laughs> this hard hitting time wasting. <laughs> but uh, okay, so America Democratic primary looks like the race is starting to settle into this kind of dimension where you have two lead front runners. And then a third who's maybe sitting there with a little bit of potential. So the third is your former favorite, Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, Pete's in third. Mayor Pete's in uh, well, third. Well, not quite exactly in third because technically Bernie Sanders is in third. You but see, now you want to get technical and you accuse me of wasting time and you're supposed to be the host in the first place. Well, I'm feeling some bad vibes here. Le- let me put it this way. Pete Buttigieg has one big advantage over Bernie Sanders as to why he should be in third place, which is that he has not had a heart attack. <laughs> Which generally is considered to be hurtful to one's chances of yeah. being a when you when a, when applying for a job that's both high stress uh, has a has a has a four year term of yeah. contract yeah and uh, involves the potential life and death of sort of oh, millions, millions of, people. of people having a major heart condition that is as we say of the volcanoes very much active. Yes. Is uh, generally not a great thing to have. No, not a great thing at all. So pity, because Benny Sanders is, very, is an interesting guy. He's an interesting guy. For Let's not get into that because we'll just fight with each other. We will fight with each other about Benny. So let's talk about Mayor Pete's in, Mayor Pete's so in real third In position. real third, not technical third. Yes. Uh, but in jo- uh, jostling for first and second place, depends who you ask, are Joe Biden, the former vice president of the United States, and Elizabeth Warren, who is a senator from Massachusetts, uh, most famously referred to by Donald Trump as Pocahontas. Because, of course, Donald Trump got the joke about her wrong. The joke yeah, about her wrong was that he was Pocahontas because she was a fake Native American. It's so much better. It's good. It's, it makes sense. It's punny, but he mm. doesn't do words like foe, I'm pretty sure. So, you th- Do you think he thinks foe is a little bit foe? Yeah, maybe he does. Yeah. He's a real deal, you know? Yeah. Anyway, so they seem to be jostling for position. There have been some debates. It's not actually clear who's in the lead because I was saying this to you earlier. I don't understand the polls at all. You've got polls that have Biden up nationally by 15. Yeah. And you've got Warren behind by one in a poll taken in the same week. So No, wait, slow down. You're saying you have two polls. Up, two different polls. Two yeah. different polls. One has him ahead by 15 points. Yeah. The other has him ahead by one point. No, that's not the same number. Taken in the same week. In the same week, the same kind of sample size. Yeah, similar sample size. Is it the same company doing the two polls? No, it's not. So obviously, and do they have like a legacy bias? So obviously, there's methodology conflicts here. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's too much noise for me to opine even vaguely realistically as to who's okay. actually in the lead. It does seem, though, that in the two early states, which are Iowa and New Hampshire, where the first primaries happen to decide who the presidential candidate will be. Yeah that Warren is ahead very, very, very slightly. Okay. Now, this is important because the two have come to represent two wings of the Democratic Party. Warren is a radical by any stretch of the imagination. She may occasionally talk the way of a moderate, but if you look at the, what she's actually proposed as her policies, they are distinctly radical. They involve okay, I'm going to check you on that, but just tell us about two first. And two is what is called moderate um, I think this I is think Joe Biden. This is Joe Biden. Joe Biden has agreed with some things 
that the kind of the mainstream he's not that far off what a lot of the other candidates are saying even Elizabeth Warren but he has in the debates and stuff said things like how are you going to pay for this yeah which is usually considered to be the sort of moderate position um is that these things are good and nice to have we just can't afford them yet yeah so he agrees right. in principle with a lot of Warren's plans right. but just doesn't So similar wish lists yeah. but a different idea about how you make wishes come true and how fast you go for them exactly yeah that that kind Okay of so so let's talk about Elizabeth Warren being a radical because I have some contacts in America that are still alive from my days there and some new ones that I've made and smart Americans that I respect a lot say Elizabeth Warren is the is the best that there is and they don't seem to think that she's a radical. They seem to think the attributes that I most often hear are bookish, smart, um, precise, wonky. Uh, attention to detail is often a phrase that comes up when describing her. And when I hear attention to detail, when I hear academic, when I look at her CV, she was a Harvard professor of uh, basically, what is it, law? Uh, I'm not actually sure. I'm not but sure. Yes, I know she was a hard officer. I think it was law. But there was a heavy quantitative element to it because she was into sort of consumer protection and particularly yeah. uh, interested herself in credit, in laws around credit and how you how you protect consumers against uh, basically loan sharking and other predatory sort of credit mechanisms. And, and the thing about that, as we're sort of suffering with it in South Africa, we're not allowed to talk about South Africa just right now, but just so that you know, there was a silly thing that happened where uh, some people wanted a new a National Credit Act, which would sort of make it much easier for poor people to go bankrupt. You know, you go to the store and you buy some furniture on, on, on lay-by and you're paying monthly installments that end up coming out to much more than the furniture was originally worth, three times more. You take a small personal loan in order to buy, to pay for school fees or something like that and you end up paying five times more than the original loan. This is a really bad situation to be in. So you try and pass a law that helps people like that go bankrupt and get the predatory lenders off their backs. But uh, the Department of Trade and Industry is a little bit worried that the law might not be properly phrased and not be properly termed and worded so that it's actually going to have some perverse effects. They hire in an independent research firm to do the job of figuring out whether this is the proper way to do it. And they came, come back and they say, look, this is a really, really good, noble idea. Perfectly, perfect, perverse implementation if you actually implement this law. What's going to happen is you're going to make uh, credible uh, lenders leave the market. Uh, they're the only people who are going to be scared away from this. You're actually going to increase the amount of loan shocking that there is. You're going to increase the number of people that get preyed upon um, because you're going you're to enlarge the gray or black market. And the government's reply was, whoops, we actually already signed it into law. <laughs> we forgot to wait for your... Uh, the. We, we'll still pay you for the for the... like." work that you've done on researching this and thanks for the advice and I guess we're just going to screw the little man over again. Anyway, so Elizabeth Warren was sort of in that world in America and I think rated to be smarter than that. I think she is smarter than that. So quantitatively, uh, you know, has, has looked up and down the numbers of the big banks uh, in terms of, uh, you know, qualitative uh, news, knows a hell of a lot about the law and why would why would such a knowledgeable academic person be be by implication, when you say radical, I think you mean sort of kind of detached from the basic accounting principle yep. that uh, you can't spend money that you don't have. So, so, so there's a number of things here. Firstly, is the fact of how much of her uh, 
proposals are pretty unconstitutional by most readings. So, for example, she wants to ban fracking in every state in the United States immediately on day one, not through the legislature, but through an executive order. Now, that really seems Isn't to that be just Obama? Obama said, I've got a pen, I've got a phone. Yeah, and that was unconstitutional then. <laughs> it's just like, you know, Trump sort of trying to... Let's not, let's not let's not get into Trump because that's that that always sidetracks and I'm I'm tired of every discussion getting into getting into him. Getting okay, into no, no, but okay, um, right. So that's illegal because you think that that's a kind of legislation that really has to go through Congress. Well, you know, the, con- the, 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 the firstly, it's supposed to go through Congress, and secondly, the federal government is only supposed to really regulate interstate commerce. Now, obviously, it doesn't; it's gone way beyond that. But yeah. this is really pushing the bounds of that. Yeah, you know, because if Pennsylvania decides that it wants to drill for a thing with fracking, you know, how can it be? Uh, banned just by fiat by the that's ruled by decree yeah um secondly her spending stuff is way off the charts now, i'm not sure of the exact number but it's many trillions of dollars i think it's northwards of 10 trillion dollars over a, at least a 10 years span um of additional spending whereas her proposed new taxes will cover maybe 20 percent of that at least so she's lo- uh, the US is already. Right, so she done. wants to bring in a couple of extra trillion. She wants to bring in twenty percent of the spending that she wants. Like, to bring let's in. say she wants to bring in an extra two, but she wants to spend an extra ten trillion. Exactly. Excepting it's more than that, actually. Yeah, it's more than that. I'm just being conservative because I can't remember the number off the top of my head. Because you're sick. Yes. Because <laughs> it's been a stressful week. I get it. <laughs> but this is a kind of uh, simple problem. I mean, how is the US going to pay for this? It's already got a huge deficit. It's already got a massive debt. Which yeah, its is, deficit is about $20 trillion. Um, it's about a GDP. It's, it's, well, it's about no, not its deficit, it's debt. It's debt, but sorry. That's, but yeah, that's yeah. not including what they call the unfunded liabilities. Yes. So that is, uh, Americans have this program called Social Security, which is you pay into and it's supposed to pay you out. Yeah. But for various, uh, if you if you don't earn enough money, it still pays you anyway. Um, but Defined benefit rather than defined. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is it's going bankrupt. And if it you, is right. Some the people, promises are just... Some yeah, people yeah. have tried to calculate how much the various unfunded liabilities yeah. will cost the U.S., taxpayer and it's something like a hundred trillion dollars yeah i have heard that figure. which is i've heard so 80 trillion 80 yeah. trillion 100 trillion there are estimates that vary some go up yeah. to like 200 trillion yeah the point is there's no way that it's affordable and those programs will go bankrupt if you add even more debt they're going to go bankrupt even faster which is going to have serious social and political more. consequences dude i think like being dead you're either bankrupt or not. <laughs> There's no being more bankrupt. <laughs> I don't know. The US is really pushing the limits of how you could be more <laughs> bankrupt. <laughs> wow. And I'd like to see, you know, one of the things that might result from that is the US decides that, oh, well, we're the world's reserve currency. So we can just print a million billion dollars to pay off, to, to kind of inflate things and pay off this. And that's, that's probably not so true. So a million billion dollars sounds silly, but, it's but a million billion dollars is a... That's a thousand trillion dollars. Yeah. And if we're already in the region of like two hundred trillion dollars, <laughs> we're actually starting to. It's only realistic. five. We're only a factor of five. Five times more. Yeah. And we're in the oh, guys, we're going to print a, a million billion dollars. <laughs> exactly. Sounds silly. So, okay. so this is this is oh, something Steve. to 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 kind of uh, attack her, her her attention to detail point that you brought up, right? Yeah. Which is either she knows this and she's selling a bag of false goods right. or she doesn't, in which case she's She's not attending to the details. Or she's got some idea like what's going to happen is 
we you say we're only going to get two trillion dollars extra, but if we do the clever things that I say we're going to do, then the economy is going to grow so fast that our tax revenue well, is actually going to go up even more. They and asked, these these things are going to pay for themselves. They asked her in a recent debate. Will you raise taxes on the middle class to pay for these things? Yeah. A question which she very, very strongly avoided. Mm. So that seems to be what the real thing is here. While she's proposing a wealth tax on the very rich, yeah. uh, she is actually probably going to just tax the middle class Americans who are very, very lowly taxed at the moment. Yeah. Because the Republicans have been so good at cutting taxes. They have been pretty good. Uh, so ba- basically the only not, thing I mean, it's not as good as Ireland, but it's pretty good. One person says that the Republican Party is elected to do two things, cut taxes and kill terrorists. It does both pretty effectively, does, yeah. but very little else. <laughs> does not do. And they, now they've got this thing, there's a thing they call the Democrats the do-nothing Democrats. It's, it's Which is such a... I find that, like, silly. It's it's a very empty, it's like, empty criticism. It's, the Democrats want to do everything. Yeah, the Democrats have a very full uh, uh, agenda. Yeah. Um, so I really don't know where the do-nothing comes from. I mean, they're bad ideas, but they do have an agenda. I what, don't know if they're all so bad. Whatever other more contentious... Uh, I mean, obviously, there's some that are good, but... One of them, one of Elizabeth Warren's more contentious ideas is one that the ANC would be very happy with, which is, um, I think any corporation of a certain size has to have its board appointed by the US government to include, for example, community and worker representatives. Its whole board or just a couple of members of the board? I think uh, a certain percentage of the board. Right. Okay. So your, your company, you're doing well. Yeah. It's fine as your company. Now, oh, you've done really well. We get three so guys this, on your board. Yeah, this union boss is going to be on your company and he's going to start deciding the direction of the company. Now that is also kind of, there's questions about whether that's constitutional as well in the US. I'll um, bet that's not constitutional in the US. That's probably not constitutional. It is US. constitutional in Germany. Yes. And I, and I like the German system. But I think that um, there are cases where, so, um, so just look, the German system is not without its drawbacks. Thomas Piketty is one of the big fans of the German, German system. And that's where I was sort of introduced to the fact that Mittelstadt, you know, these, these German white good producers and car producers and the, the, uh, really a lot of what makes the German economy the powerhouse of Europe and in some ways one of the most productive economies in the world is, is that they've got these quite medium, small, small medium-sized companies, 1,000-employee companies, not all just behemoth sort of VW kind of things that are producing parts that then go into washing machines or into cars or into whatever. And those companies, you know, it's very much part of the reason that they survive the way they do is that their 20% of the board has to be rep- worker represented yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. So Piketty digs it he, because he's, you know... Because he's uh, a communist. Because he's a communist. Um, uh, maybe as a youth I was a communist and that's... <laughs> But That's where your infatu- infatuation came from. I like, I like. The, I mean, the academic arguments, the intellectual arguments for why it's a good idea is that uh, you counterbalance somewhat the tendency in boards that are purely, uh, that are unregulated to kind of do this favors for favors thing where our board, uh, you know, I'm a CEO of a different company, but I'm on this board. And so this board is deciding the pay rate of the CEO yeah. of this company, but he's on the board they of make, a company. They make decisions not in favor of the company. They but make rather in, in favor of themselves. So the one is in terms of high pay. That's unrelated to real value add, but is related to what kind of high pay you're going to get in exchange yes, for yes, the other yes. people on the board. And the other thing is short-term thinking, just looking to hit the your quarterly quarter, yeah. 
earnings reports and not to the long-term growth of the company. And anything that can kind of uh, line the incentives up right for for free enterprise, for competitive market value-add kind of producing, I think is something that I'm behind. But one of the drawbacks is that German companies, uh, he estimated, if I remember correctly, are like 20% undervalued. Yeah. Or if you look at their value, you know, the stock market value, uh, because part of the reason that you want to buy a share is because you think the price is going to go up. Part of the reason you want to buy a share is you think you're going to get some coupon repayment out of it if the company does really well. Part of the reason you want to buy a share, particularly if you're buying lots of shares or you're part of a sort of fund that's that's quite active and buys big chunks, is that then you get to sit at the AGM and, and, and maybe you get votes. Mm. And so you're, the, the idea of that share giving you some voting power over the company is diluted when the uh, government makes a rule like this. And so, you know, if America were to do something like that, and if it's true that that means you're going to then depress the value of the shares by 10 or 20%, it's like shaving off 20% of, of the U.S. stock market. I mean, that would be trillions of dollars to evaporate off into Ireland and, uh, and the United Kingdom and mm. South Korea and really energetic, I, dynamic, I think it's also worth economies. saying a sort of more broad point here, which is that, the Americans are not very good at government, uh, as compared to the Europeans especially. Their government tends to be more wasteful, less efficient. Right, which is why they like to do less government. Which is one of the reasons why less government But is I'm trying to make a different point. I'm trying to make the point that uh, uh, this idea of weaving things out of a whole cloth, like some things you really have to get right at the start. Like yes. I think Germany got that right at the start of its of its unification, and in fact of coming out of World War II. Well, they'd just been bombed, yeah. They'd just been bombed to smithereens, and so they they sort of got this thing right. Okay, if we want to focus, and it was a good way of, of sort of staving off the kind of communist insurrection yeah. kind of thing. And so now it's like that, and it works. But once you've got a different, if you didn't start that way to go back to it, mm. nightmare. And then of course Germany has probably a lot more social trust than the US has. Yeah, uh, which is another thing that kind of helps these things. I, I, so, so, that's, so that's pretty radical. She also wants to do the kind of normal stuff like um, Medicare for All. So that means basically everyone gets free healthcare in the United States, which is pretty expensive. Um, and she wants to... Free healthcare costs something. Well, it costs something to someone. Ha. Uh, and increase the minimum wage, which are sort of usual kind yeah. of standard left-wing things. So I'm kind of like a minimum wage uh, fundy at the moment, excepting I don't... I'm ex- exaggerating... Uh, my own expertise, but I have been looking at minimum to median wage ratios um, around the world. I've not been looking at them in America because it's quite the breakdown by state makes it sort yeah, of it's very complicated, bit irritating. It's quite difficult to get data on median wages by state. So there's two more points about her. One, one which I don't know that much about. But, but no, I, let me, can yeah, I finish yeah. my thing no, about no, minimum no, wage? wage? To finish my thing about minimum wage, dude, Boris Johnson, listen to that guy. And he's not the first to do it in the Conservative Party, but the Conservative Party of, of the United Kingdom is very keen on increasing their minimum wage. And I think it's something... Well, that's to get a majority in Parliament. <laughs> to get Brexit done. No, I think, I mean, it is a risk. Um, but there's an interesting... Can I say my interesting thing about minimum wage? Say your interesting thing. This so is a, this is a free podcast. It's a free... Oh, well, something is free. <laughs> in this godforsaken world. So my idea is that uh, is that our government passed a minimum wage, which is just obscene. It actually is stomach-clenchingly like absurd. Um, but that's not to say it didn't have some reason. So I read the government. I read the 2016 uh, report on our minimum wage, 
sort of uh, call, it is called a call for a national minimum wage, released by Treasury when Treasury is run by Praveen Gordhan. And the report was made to the Deputy President, Sora Ramaphosa, and uh, um, uh, sorry, guys. We the, just report, had, the report was made to. No, I think we just had to tell our listeners there was a small break there because of air conditioning problems. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not totally just that the brain's not working. Um, okay, right. So the and the panel was comprised of six people that I can't remember. Some special panel, and they said why we think we should get a minimum wage in South Africa because we didn't have a national minimum wage at the time, and they said that. They variously said that the United Kingdom's experience is the number one experience. They're the most appropriate, I quote, sort of model for South Africa to follow. And the reason is that in 1998, uh, Tony Blair, Labour Party, they passed some new minimum wage law nationwide, and it's the first time they have anything like that in the country. This is, of course, sort of still coming out of the Thatcherite reforms that that bust the union's grip on capital and kind of released the United Kingdom from the stagflation nightmare that it was been sitting in in the 70s. So their economy is doing better and they think, okay, not enough of those returns are going to labor. We need to get a new minimum wage. The thing that's impressive about it is that it's very important to them to set the minimum wage with various factors in mind, but really in relation to the median wage. So the median wage is you line all the earners up in a row and you say, who's the one in the middle? How much is that person earning? So it's going to always be lower than the average age because the person right at the front of the line is going to be earning lots and lots and lots more than the people down the back of the line. Anyway, so they said, we'll take the median wage, we'll take 40% of the median wage. So it's quite low. You're going far back to the employment line. You're really just dealing with the last few people in the employment line and saying, okay, you either need to come up to to this point or you're going to be kicked off the line because it's illegal to work for so cheap. But they also do other things like they say your first year of work, the minimum wage is effectively... Oh, it's like absurdly low. Um, and then you're, if you're younger than 25, it's also much lower than the real national minimum. So they do all so, kinds so of things to words, keep it very, very, very low. Yeah, if you have to do a minimum a wage, it's one of the better ways to do it. And then, and so now they want to increase a little bit. And what happened in the in-between 20 years is that their economy performed really well and unemployment did reduce. So all of the dire warnings, and the economists sort of ate humble pie, and they're like, okay, you know, this minimum wage thing's really not so bad if you set the level right. And our friends at the Free Market Foundation would be hating us for saying this because they sort of think that the minimum wage is too sweet well, a bad idea. I, and a lot of my colleagues at the Institute uh, yeah, like, I mean, think I, I'm a crazy guy. I would say that possibly what's happening there is that it, it, unemployment would have been even lower or unskilled workers would have been even more hired, but they weren't because of the thing. But, you know. but the counter-argument is that it's, is that you can you can create a, this thing about uh, tax breaks paying for themselves or new government spending paying for itself. Uh, I don't think those arguments can be dismissed out of hand. It is possible that a tax break ends up paying for itself because it stimulates the economy well, on to that, a degree that uh, on a lower. Uh, on um, that point, I think I think though that. Tax, pay, tax breaks almost never pay for themselves. Uh, the Reagan tax cuts, which were very famous in the United States, um, the people who drew them up estimated that they'd only make about a 20% return. Yeah. So they didn't so that's pay for, for itself. A, they paid a little bit a little for themselves, bit. Yeah, but yeah. Not, they didn't completely. It wasn't like You're not covering yourself. Yeah. They still went more into debt. Right. So the, 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 the covering yourself idea with the minimum wage is that you incentivize employers to boost the productivity of their laborers. Um, and that has a that has a virtuous effect on the economy. And you also 
increase the amount of consumer power that uh, the poorest earners in the economy have, they often aren't saving very much, so that money gets sloshed around in in a way that often adds to productivity. So that's the that's the, that's the sort of comeback argument for it. Anyway, the point is that it can kind of work, and here we set our minimum wage at 100% rather than 40% of the median wage. Oops. Which means literally that half the employment force is now illegal, although Titan Bowen is kind of fighting to not let this happen, and no one's really helping him out, excepting us at the Institute of Race Relations, who, by the way, do try to influence yeah, we, we try to influence policy and political parties. Uh, we've tried to assist Tetsu Tito Mboweni's power play inside the Yeah, we, we really are trying. We're doing it from Bruma, which yeah. is weird. Yeah, no, it's very strange. But anyway. No one saw this coming. Yeah, I've just gotten an email from someone who asked me for various things. But one of the things that he asked me was, and I quote, have you convinced Gabriel to shower more regularly? No, who said that? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> oh my God. I won't tell you on air at least. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> but I, I'm just saying that there is uh, there is something that might be called fake news out there. Or is it fake news? Gabriel? You tell us. Uh, guys, I shower. Not, <laughs> I don't shower very often at all. I swim. <laughs> I go for a swim every day. And so sometimes when I, I, I like bath once a week and then I shampoo my hair and then it looks a bit differently. But the other days, I don't want to be talking about this. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, sorry. We were having a high level discussion. We were having a high level discussion and about, I had to ruin it about the minimum wage. Because people criticizing your hygiene. So I just want to say that it's not out of hand the case that if that if Elizabeth Warren wants to raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour around the country, that she's uh that she's a left wing radical because the right wing conservative party under Theresa May and under Boris Johnson also wanted to increase the minimum wage. And really if you want to know if it's crazy or not, you have to check the level, and in particular, you have to check the level relative to the median wage. Because if what they're doing, if sending it up to 15 is making it uh, for some states, you know, if that's going to make it the equal to the median wage in the state of Louisiana, then what you're doing is you're going to make yeah, work well, in Louisiana well, awful. That is, it's all going to be illegal bootleg work, or you're going to make people move yeah. out of it. Well, that's of course one of the big problems. But here, you have to know that is that the the, the US the US has massively varying costs of yeah. living. Yeah. So to have a national minimum wage in the United States is just insane. Yeah, Like uh, at North Dakota or something, I think someone tries to do some sort of pricing on what like a date will cost you. Yes. It's like 10% of what it will cost you in New York. Yeah. To have a minimum wage 10 times higher than, you know, yeah. effectively in real yeah. terms, yeah. it's just insane. Yeah. So anyway, there, there are two other parts about Elizabeth Warren that are worth kind of talking about. One is her kind of academic career. I, I've heard, but I have not read them myself, but I think it's worth kind of uh, checking out if you're interested in this sort of thing. There have actually been some very strong critiques of her academic work that suggest that she got a bit more praise, that she's not a great... That she's know, a bit undeserving. She's a little bit undeserving of some Focahontas. of the Focahontas? Yes. So that brings us to point number four. But surely the people is, making these critiques are... No, of course, right? But that doesn't mean they're baboons, wrong. baboons, what do we call them? Knuckle-dragging, right-wing... Yes, but that doesn't mean they're wrong. Just yes. because your opponents are disgusting doesn't mean that they're not wrong. Not yeah. that they are disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> we're covering our... You see how rattled we are yeah, no, this, on our podcast now we're covering our bases. No, well, you know, as part of the official opposition now, we always have to cover our bases. Uh. Um, <laughs> the fourth one is her strange desire to aggrandize her origin story so this originally comes about when she was beginning her sort of legal her tenure as a professor um, at harvard 
she appears to have declared that her ethnicity was Native American. And she says that this is based on the fact that she heard this old family story about how her parents had escaped from their repressive families because they were sort of mixed race, Native American, half white, whatever. Um, And she sort of tells the story and Harvard says that, no, no, this didn't give her any advantages in our selection. But they did also happen to hire her, claiming to be a Native American, at a time when the campus was very heavily under pressure to hire people who were not yeah. white. Yeah. They were like actually yeah. sort of staff pro- uh, walkouts and protests by students. So Harvard is, of course, denying it, but that might also be because they know that it'll get them more trouble. So it's not clear. It, it turned out she actually went and did a DNA test. That she's one, one thousandth, one two thousandth or something Native mm. American. So... Mm. Uh, that story of her family Hashtag origin. Hashtag me too. Yeah. That story of that family origin is just rubbish. Yeah. And she made it up. Yeah. Uh, but even worse, which is why she got the nickname Focahontas. But doesn't she feel vindicated by that? I thought that when she got the DNA test, the whole point was like, oh, well, look, I, it must be true because I got some in me. Yeah. Well, someone then kind of was like, oh, well, it's like five or six generations ago. So it's so far back in Which means that the specific story she told was rubbish. Okay. No, that's not so bad. Whatever, it was a family legend. She claimed that, you know, I have high cheekbones. It must mean that I'm a Native American. I mean, she did literally say something like that. She did say something. Uh, But here's the worst one. She claimed that she was fired for being pregnant uh, while she was a teacher. Yeah, no, this is a bad one. I actually, I'm with you on this. This is a really bad one. Um, she gives this interview and she tells a story and she says, you know, I was working as a teacher and when I became visibly pregnant, the principal did what people did in those days, which is the 1970s. Mm. And to quote her, wished me luck and started looking for a new person for the role. Mm. Now, this was a little bit of an oopsie because people firstly found interviews where she had references. The same job. The same job and how she had and left the same it voluntarily. Life. Yeah. And also people found the minutes of the meeting yep. where she was discussing her, uh, her future at the, at the school and they offered her another year extension. She said, no, thank you. I'm going to go and do something else. Now. Yeah. And that is, to me, that is such a betrayal of, of trust. When you're campaigning and you tell a lie like that, it's really irritating. But on top of the betrayal of trust, it's a betrayal. It's, it belies her values. What does she think she needs to do to exaggerate her own appeal to voters? So I, I'm kind of fine with, with politicians being a bit braggadocious. Like someone's like, you know, I went into a room and everyone was really sad because they didn't believe in how beautiful the country is. And then I told them the story and then everyone was crying because they remembered how beautiful the country is. And that's the kind of thing I want to do over and over again. If it turns out that not everyone was crying yeah. and not everyone was stirred, only a third of the room was stirred, maybe that's okay. Maybe that's a kind of okay kind of lie to tell. Yeah, but it's a little bit lie, annoying, but it's like whatever. This lie just is like, what is it? What is it that's so appealing about being victimized on the basis of being pregnant? I think I think her idea was that this was part of a push by her campaign to sell her as a woman who really understands what it's like for women struggling in the workplace, and that's aimed specifically at the demographic that's most target that's most weak for Trump that he so really needs to win, yeah. which is white suburban women in the United States, yeah. who uh, in the twenty eighteen midterms stayed well away from Trump. Yeah. There was there was a, there was there was a lot of surprise at how many voted for him 
in the election. It was thought that Hillary Clinton is going to seal that. That's going to be, you know, if nothing else, that's going to seal the deal for her. That didn't work out. They appear to have abandoned her. But then the gross factor Mm. of everything around the White House. So so here's the problem. Here's the other problem with, with, uh, with Elizabeth Warren for the Democrats. She's got some of these weaknesses. And a lot of people have started to say, oh, this is starting to look a little bit like Hillary. Now, some people have, of course, said that that's a sexist comparison. But... Wait, hold on. They said that, that she's got that air of kind of scandal and lying that Hillary had around her, which... Now, are you saying scandal is code? Are you no, no. dog whistling scandal to so, mean woman so, no, no, no. and so, lying to mean woman? No, 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 no. Slow down there, partner. Okay. What I'm saying is that some people have said, oh, you're only comparing her to uh, Hillary Clinton because you can't think of any other. You know, it's all just, all women are the same and they're all even. Yeah, yeah. No, so I'm saying, and then when the yeah. reply is, no, 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 the comparison is being made because of this whiff of scandal. And this whiff of scandal and this whiff of uh, dishonesty. Of dishonesty. Then their reply is, no, but those aren't real things. Those are masculine constructs used to keep women down. No, their reply is, but Hillary wasn't dishonest. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is why I only watch American news over the weekends. Yeah. Like after I've had a heavy night. Oh, I'm drinking so, so that I forget about it's it. It's just depressing watching it because there's... If you think about it, in a lot of ways, there's very little on the line and compared to a country like South Africa. Yeah. And yet, the hysteria would make our politicians blush. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, this is a country where occasionally people get threatened with genocide. And even then, we're not as ex- excitable as the yeah. American political elite. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, so Warren, so Warren, so Warren's, Warren's, if she is Clinton, and in the ma- in the matchups yeah. between her and Trump, of all the major Democratic polling candidates, matchups, yeah. polling matchups, where they put, you know, would you rather vote for Trump or would you vote for Warren? Would you vote for Biden? Warren does the worst, yeah, of all the Democrats. Yeah. She's maybe one or two points ahead of Trump in head to heads, whereas the others are ten or more. So you think Buttigieg could beat Trump, and you think Biden could beat Trump? Even Bernie could beat Trump, maybe if he hadn't had a heart attack. Yeah, Bernie plus heart attack, I don't think can beat Trump. Yeah, Bernie plus heart attack ain't beating no one. Like, uh, it, the next time he coughs, yeah. I think it's over for him. Although, you know, Americans... He does have a cult around him. They can they can surprise you. Yeah, and the cultish, the sort of, the belief that he will be kept healthy by belief itself <laughs> is, is has some truth to it. The, the uh, what do you call that thing when you believe you're going to get it better and then you actually do? Because you've been placebo. placebo effect. The placebo effect yeah. is the real deal, and the Bernie burn. Yeah, the, the, the medical statistics on this are not great. Unless you take heart it, attacks. Unless stuff. you take it easy. Yeah, um, that's the thing. Stress is the thing. Yeah, unless you take it easy, you can be dead in two years yeah. very easily. Yeah. Uh, so and he's such a nice guy. And he plays the guitar. He should retire and just sort of give. He I, should be the sagacious at this point, sort of grand octogenarian godfather of the Democratic Party. You see, this is what makes me suspicious. I mean, he's won the ideological battle. Right. He really most, has. It's amazing how he has. Most of his uh, policy like you're proposals saying, from 2016. You're saying Joe Biden is the conservative guy and Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, not a lot of daylight between them other than the fact that Joe Biden's prepared now and then to say, you know, it's a great idea, but how are you going to pay for it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's what's going on in the US. It's a bit of a, uh, as, as our colleague Cecil would say, cluster fudge. It's a cluster. Ooh. And I'm not willing to take any bets on anyone except that it's, I would take the bet that it's going to be Biden or Warren, yeah, but nothing beyond that. Okay, in which yeah. case we'll have a seventy-year-old versus a seventy-year-old. I mean, I think, I think in a way, uh, one septuagenarian. Of, sorry, yeah. Are they not? Are they not octogenarians? They're still septuagenarians. No, no, no. Bernie is almost an octogenarian. I think he's seventy-eight. Dude, or he looks old. He looks like he's 
80. He looks like he's ancient, yeah. Um, and I think Warren is 71 or something like that. And Trump's Which he like looks sprightly. Two or three. Yeah, that's that's both Trump and... Botox. And, and Warren look sprightly for their age. Trump is definitely Botox. Oh, yeah. Oh, he, Warren he, might just be that magic. might be that like Native American Indian blood <laughs> that's apparently you know don't crack or whatever. Um, okay, that's a bad joke. Look, <laughs> I think I don't know. I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're bad. You're a bad person. Obviously, um, I want to just say we were talking about we we had this discussion uh, a while ago about Andrew Yang. Was I saying his name right? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Andrew. dude. I really think he is the best hope for South Africa. Oh, so yeah. Why do I say that? I like Dude, it is important he, now and then to remind oneself. He's the only serious contender who's yeah. not insane, <laughs> right? I think he's got some bad ideas and some good ideas, but he's not insane. And and it's, yeah, I think he would be good. One of the, I I like think I think Pete Buttigieg would be good. Um, I think he's not insane. Yeah, I think no, he really is quite okay. That's that. Yeah, I was being a little bit reasonable. Pete's not in, uh, insane, but he also my he, trouble with Pete is that from an American point gravitas. of view, I think he'd be okay. I think from a South African point of view, it'll be tough because the his sort of Achilles heel that's been exposed by his um, fellow Democratic candidates is that he comes from South Bend, which is... Indiana. Indiana. It's a pretty low-income city. It's quite a big city. It's mixed race, and it's a mixed bag when it comes to crime and corruption inside the police. We have talked about this before, uh, I think. And, you know, I think he's been a really good mayor to his town, as far as I can tell. But when people started coming after him about being sort of a little bit too authoritarian for a white dude because he'd fired a black police commissioner because the black com- police commissioner had been illegally wiretapping his superiors. Pete, Mayor Pete seemed to um, change tack a little bit and become a bit of an appeaser and sort of depart from the uh, facts and, and, and veer into this race nationalist kind of ideology. And there was like, I mean, one of the terrible things, I'm not going to, is this Michael Brown? Yeah, yeah. So there was this terrible little sort of competition on Twitter between Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren. And, I mean, it was started by Beto O'Rourke, obviously. Uh, <laughs> oh, about like crazy Beto how much, how much, How crazy can you get about blaming Michael Brown's assailants for laying murder as the charge against them, despite the fact that there was a major inquiry into it, the evidence... The forensic evidence, I went and reread the sort of Department of Justice's uh, special report into it. It wasn't just one of these hatchet jobs where like some small juries like just taking the side of the police. There really is like a lot of witnesses and a lot of forensic evidence that suggests that Michael Brown was trying to hit a police officer and was trying to, you know, overpower him and was running at him and then got shot. And to call it murder is just sort of playing it's playing politics with people's lives yeah and i think it adds to the toxicity of the entire american environment because one of the things that makes policing really difficult is this sort of assumption that the police are not on your side it's tough for very tough for civilians who want to report on crimes that they're seeing or want to be protected by the police or actually or like if you're a teenager and what you really need in life 
is to be arrested because you're hitting liquor stores and you're smuggling booze out. You you know, maybe what you need in life is to be arrested and have a little sit down for a weekend and think about yourself and come back and, and, and feel a bit ashamed in front of your parents and then try and be a good boy. I had experiences like that as a youth. I didn't get... Uh, uh, rocked off to uh, a jail in Indiana because that's not the kind of naughtiness I was doing. But I know what it is. I know a little bit about crime and punishment, and I don't think that uh, I don't think that it's. Well, you are helps. very you are very into Russian literature. I like Russian. I like Dostoevsky. I read them in in Russian. I I don't think it's helpful to play politics to try and score points between each other to see who can be the most woke, and I think Mayor Pete. One of the things that was appealing about him was that he looked like he was better than that because he's got a lot of black supporters in his in his little town and because he's sort of produced better results, because he's made the place safer, because he's been sort of results-oriented into scholarships and you know, all this kind of good stuff. He seemed like he'd earned himself the credibility to also then be critical of the of the race baiting game, and he he obviously doesn't think that he's earned enough points, so he's just perpetuated it. And my worry is that if a if a Democrat takes over, my worry about the Republicans in the White House is uh, it I, makes I, it hard I, for them to deal with South Africa because it's so easy for us to say, "Ah, oh, Republican Americans are a bunch of racists. racists yeah, they yeah. can't criticize us for expropriating land without compensation," which has become a live issue again this week. The ANC promising that it's going to do it mm. in the face of Katlema Motlante. Uh, uh, Democrats start appointing ambassadors. Do they start appointing uh, ambassadors that uh, think that you need to uh, put the boot down on the face of the white man in order to lift up mm -hmm. uh, Black Panther's triumph or something? You know, that kind of thing makes me worry. And, and Mayor Pete seems a little bit... Whereas Andrew Yang seems like a perfectly reasonable dude who wants the best for people and is, uh, and is willing to make good arguments for it, even if he doesn't make him very popular. I remember now why I thought that Mayor Pete is a bit mad. Yeah. Because he wants to pack the Supreme Court in the US. Oh, he wants to make it like twenty-five justices or something. So yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is like, uh, don't, 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 don't mess with with big institutions like that. Because all you're going to do is start an arms, uh, a court packing arms race. Yeah. Uh, when the Republicans will be like, oh, well, then we'll make it a hundred and fifty, and then. <laughs> and then and then the American constitutional system will basically just fall apart. Yeah. Alternatively, we can just put TV cameras inside the Supreme Court. Oh yeah, no, then then everything's ruined. Then everything will go to hell. Yes. Because people will start yamming it up for the camera. Yeah, so they can make a career out of By the way, I don't listen to co podcasts. Um I do. Excepting for hours. No, I don't. No, you don't. Don't. <laughs> don't lie but to our listeners like that. I'm sorry, guys. I but I do listen to American Supreme Court uh, arguments Nerd alert Dude They're so good <laughs> They are so good Because you've Because there's A lot of cross talk eh? yeah. They get The lawyers basically Get interrogated By the justices And the justices Sort of ask questions Sometimes they interrupt The answer of the previous guy There's a very short Time limit It's very intense It's like It's like intellectual Basketball mm. There's always points Being scored And it kind of Does feel stupid Because basically All that seems to matter Is who scores the last point Or maybe none of it Matters at all Because uh, the judges Have already made up their minds or whatever, but it is riveting. I, 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 I strongly recommend it, and there's just been a new slew of Supreme Court cases uh, that I'm, I'm not going to speak to. Uh, so, so, so what do we have to talk about that's, that's not America, considering that we don't really know what's going to happen yet? We, well, you know... You know, we could talk about Brexit, but we'll be out of date by the time this goes up. Yeah, that's true. 100%, so there's we no will point. Be 100%, okay, let's not talk about Brexit. Uh, we could talk about Ramaphosa going to Russia. Oh yes, that's a good one. It's your favorite country in the world. Tell it's us. It's my favorite country. Tell us exactly what what your 
What's your thoughts are? I don't know what to make of it. I think that um, because because the signals that have come out of it are a bit confusing and generally quite muted. There's mm. been more sort of talk going into it of what ought to happen. I think that Russia is an important partner. Why why did Peter Bruce begin his column on this with this weird thing about Putin poisoning and Putin poison Putin poisoning? So by the way, yeah. it's not Putin, it's Putin. Putin. And it's it's one of, I'm not I'm not criticizing you. It's it's one of these uh, things where like My we make it harder. It's like naturally in English yeah. you just say Putin, but we assume oh Russian Slavic pure. There's lots of U sounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so call him what you want. I think that uh, Peter Bruce was trying to be funny, and sometimes he, he actually is quite funny a lot of the time. But on that one, he really missed it out. Yeah. Also, there is Russian local Russian bread. If you think of Russian bread, it's actually black bread. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, which I'm pretty sure the president wasn't being served. Um, also, alternatively, there's blinis, which are these thin, Blins. thin little. Like, it's like a like a pancake. Yeah, the yeah. little pancake that you and you have caviar with it, or yeah, that's good stuff. It's really good, that's good vodka. stuff. Yeah, um, that would be more likely. It um, there's some inside joke there that I'm not getting, uh, unless it's like the thought that it would suit Russia's uh, geopolitical interests for Ramaphosa to pass away. You know, I'm starting to because think Ramaphosa is the great sort of reformer, whereas Zuma is the I mean, great. Yeah, is he still on that train? I mean, I'm pretty, I thought he, st- he was off it. it. It's interesting to me that he still seems to be writing quite a lot of columns about Ramaphosa. Now, I understand, obviously, Ramaphosa is the president, but is it just me or is he a little bit kind of out of things? Yeah. No, I don't think it's just you. <laughs> <laughs> but he, I, yeah. he really does seem like, uh, to, to, quote, to quote the great orange man in the White House. Yeah. He's low energy. Dude, that is an interesting thing about him. Because what fills his, I mean, his other thing is about, I mean, that same piece that's about Ramaphosa not eating Russian poison bread, sort of five paragraphs of what what does it mean, is about who should replace, um, who should become the head of ESCOM. And he wants this guy, Kalitz, who I think I might have met in Russia, actually. Uh... He worked for Shell and he had most recently been posted in Canada where he was doing a f- massive Canadian deal. He's based in London, um, super competent guy, like one of the big oil men of the world, has made more money than you can count in a universe where making money is like fairly results-oriented. Uh, oil business being quite a cutthroat business for the most part. It sort of uh, was very yoked to government interest narrow government interest for a while well, most most oil drilling is done by state-owned corporations around the world yeah so on the on the on the trading side there's like a there's a weird ruthlessness to it that partly has to do with knowing how to be quite close to that sort of corrupting force of the pork barrel mm. without slipping into it because there's just so much money at stake that if you fall yeah, into it yeah. uh it's it's like not a tap that you can turn off so it's, it's like anyway he he's making the case for that guy but now this this is this without is. making the case for him, he just sort of says, "Here are two other guys that like aren't good that he's like heard about once upon a time, and he saw one at a cocktail party." It does seem like the idea is if you want to be an editor, emeritus, columnist, writer, <laughs> you just have to have made sure that you've been nice to enough people 
But you've got a phone book, and like if someone phones you, you can just be like, "Oh, do you remember Jimmy? Do you remember Bob? Do you remember Morjuane? Okay, yeah." Yeah, uh, this is you know what? Oh, I'm starting to maybe change my mind on old white men. <laughs> Dude, he does. If you if you were to think of individuals representing their social identity, oh yes, yeah. oh yeah, it would, it would. Oh, I'm, I feel, but not just thinking about like walking into a room full of. Old white men of that kind, <laughs> just like watching rugby and Yo, not and, and cheering every time like Khaleesi touches the ball, yeah, yeah, and it's telling each other that story. Or, oh, remember that time we were at a cocktail party and Khaleesi came up and he, and he said how much he likes us. <laughs> oh yes, very good. Yes, I know. In fact, one has to class up this version of old white men to to stop oneself from gagging on the very idea. No, it's not it's not fun at all. It's um, really yeah. Anyway, it's like I suppose it is one of the bummers of this week is that uh it's it's so obvious to me how respected the institute is in this very perverse way. When I look at how desperate our our sort of fellows in the media are to 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 latch on to any opportunity to really not just make fun of us and our style as individuals, yeah, yeah, yeah. but to but to but to crush us. You know, this is this is a great thing. I think we might finally be able to push out the DA for number one most hated organization by the media in this country. Yeah. And that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. You know, it shows really that the DA has lost its stride if it's not able to be the most hated organization in the country by the media. Yeah. Although it's like at this point we're sort of so entwined together in the minds of the media commentariat mm. uh, that maybe that they've just transferred their hatred very directly. They think that actually no, maybe it was the IRR all along. I mean, have you seen? We didn't actually hate the DA. Yeah, we yeah. thought we hated the DA when Helen Zeller was running the DA, when Tony Leon was running the DA. We thought Musi we Mahimani hated the was, DA, but we were we, we were, were so wrong. wrong. It was actually the IRR, and the DA is this great opposition party now. It's lost its true its true leader mm. he's been thrown out by this coup Dude, this coup you couldn't have a more perfect example of your average like race merchant money maker media person who's who's driving for clickbait doing so by creating uh, an extra frisson of interest by denying a black person agency yeah then I, I, the I, dude resigning in a position where clearly like all of the vested interests did not want him to resign. Spent seven hours desperately begging him not to resign. But when he resigns, he was pushed. Yeah, if you read all the media cover, coverage... Because dude's got no agency of his own. Up to it. It's like uh, everyone is saying his own allies are leaking to the media through anonymous quotes that we've asked him not to resign. We don't want him to resign. Helen, at the resignation announcement, says... I think I speak unanimously for the federal executive when I say that none of us wanted him to resign until the Congress. Yeah. Like, it's so clearly his own. And, of course, a, a old white man goes at the same time. Yes. Apple. Yes. And he's just written completely out of the story. Out of the story. Because Dude, no one even knows that Bowie and James Self resigned exactly. anymore. Because it's only black people that resign, and they don't resign, they get pushed. Yeah. And they, they get pushed, and they get sent to Harvard. That's the line that the EFF types are all God, using online. I love it. They, it's just so contentless, and it shows that the journalists, firstly, have no idea what they're talking about. In fact, they don't know less than the average person. Yeah, they know negative information. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they know very certainly the exact wrong thing. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> which which means that, quite frankly, we should junk the whole media. Yeah, I think apart from the Daily Sun. Did keep the Daily Sun. Keep the Daily Sun because that'll cover the important news. You know, I'm very happy to keep the maybe, Daily Sun. Maybe keep we politics have, web. Maybe Come we on, keep politics web. We can maybe keep someone who does foreign reporting. I would like to keep the uh, property section of the Sunday Times. Uh, we we fire the Twitter servers into the sun. Yes. Just just write up so that no one can get their news from Twitter. Sorry, I have to now because I've gotten onto it. Go. I hate, hate with every fiber of my being more than anything I've ever hated before. The way that journalists who don't have anything to write will say Twitter reacts to and they will write a news story about it. Oh my God. Like Gwen and Gwenya said on Twitter, uh, Musi Maimane uh, acts like he's the only person who tried to put diversity into the party, but every leader's tried to make the party more diverse. Mm. Majority of sentiment replying to it, it had many more likes than mm. than replies, which is means that it wasn't ratioed, which is usually how you know that a tweet's unpopular. Yeah. And a lot of the comments, replies were positive. But no, what's the narrative we get from Times Live? Twitter takes Gwen and Gwenya to task. For for saying that uh, Musi was, and it's not even half of the tweets in that article then that they have are not even necessarily taking her to task for it. They're kind of just attacking her more generally Dude, or attacking the DM. What I want to know is, what are these journalists' personal personal lives like? What are they like, being paid? What is when you like? They're being paid more than me. I could tell you that, dude. Because we all, <laughs> yeah. Let's not dwell, unfortunately. But you know what I mean. Like we're all naughty. We've all done naughty things. Like I'm at home and like my fiance said, dude, this is a very nice bottle of wine. I don't want you to have any of it until we're having it together because I know you, if you start with a bottle of wine, you're going to finish three quarters of it and then I'm just going to have a little bit left and it's going to be too aerated and, you know, so just wait. And then I, and then she comes back and I've like had half the bottle of wine. I feel like in the, if I was one of these people. Man, dude, you really need to lay off the wine. It's actually not true. We, this, this, is, this, this, this story sounds labored because it's never happened. <laughs> it's just making you sound like a bad fiance. She really wouldn't care. I mean, firstly, we don't buy fancy wine unless it's to go to a dinner party or to share together and then we're already, you know. But in this version of the story, I'm just imagining, um, I suppose I'm imagining the little kid that ate all the cookies and the parents come home and they're like, who ate all the cookies? And he's still got cookies in his mouth, but he's like, the dog ate the cookies. And they're like, but we don't have a dog. And he's like, I know, because he ate all the cookies and now he's dead <laughs> because you shouldn't feed dogs cookies. Like, this is the media. It is, and not always, definitely not always. Lazy and wrong. It's when you, it, it really is kryptonite. When you bring a bit, of, a bit of tension that has something to do with race in this country. We're very good at reporting the weather. Like, I've never seen us be like, I've never seen a weatherman stand in the rain and be like, no, dude, the sun is shining right now. I'd just like to say to our listeners that I'm not sure about it, but I think Gabriel might be in the pay of big weather. <laughs> I, Has Simon Gibb been paying you money? Dude, I went to school with Simon Gibb's father. Simon Gibb's father was my geography teacher. Yes, he was also my geography teacher. <laughs> <laughs> listeners, we are part of a secret conspiracy to spread faith in the weather services of the SABC. By contrasting the weather services of the SABC with everything else <laughs> that calls itself news. You know, and frankly, <laughs> the fact that no one else has managed to convince the world 
that really we have a fabulous weather service, especially in comparison to everything else that calls itself news, just shows uh, how many missed opportunities there are. Low-hanging fruit. Very much so. You know, I think for me, the final thing on this is I've been saying this for a while because I'm a grumpy old crazy man. Yeah. Uh, that basically the South African media is an arm of the ANC. Not all of it, obviously, but a very large chunk of it yeah. is effectively just in the world of the party. They care about the ANC as their main thing. They want the ANC to succeed. They have their favorites in the ANC. They play internal politics way worse than anything the IRR has ever done in the ANC. Yep. I mean, Ranjemi's like, she's, you know. Dude, Ranjemi Mumusani is like literally being paid by Zuma. Yeah, being paid by Zuma, running around on stage with like t-shirts, ANC t-shirts while she's a journalist. Yeah, yeah. But no, no, no. The IRR is meddling in organizations. Yeah. I want to add to that, though, about this idea of them. Uh, you see, I don't, I, I almost agree, but I think that the connection is okay, so you've got like the head is the ANC and then the media is an arm. I rather think that there's a different, that there, there's a head is a kind of, it's a kind of a way oh. of thinking, it's a kind of ideology or an esteem distribution response and that the ANC and the media are both arms of it. And I think a really uh, vital way to see the difference is by looking at the Nkosuzana Dlamini Zuma saw Ramaphosa battle for the leadership of the party in 2017. Because if you loved the ANC, then you wanted two things to happen. You wanted firstly for Ramaphosa to beat Dlamini Zuma so that uh, there's some chance of reform. Uh, and some chance of avoiding a terrible nuclear deal and so on. But you want something else in addition to that. You want the win to be framed in the kind of way that best positions Ramaphosa to be able to achieve the kind of reforms that the ANC needs to achieve if it's to stay in power for, for beyond 2024. I mean, 2024, probably it's looking good. 2029, on, on this trajectory, it just doesn't stand a chance. So... What does the media do? It pitches the battle as being a 50-50 neck-and-neck battle with an electoral conference and this delegate system and it attends to all the finer detail and minutiae of that battle. It pays absolutely next to no attention to the sort of broader swell of public opinion. And if it does pay attention to the broader swell of public opinion, it is to describe Nkosuzana Lamini Zuma as the sort of candidate that represents the heartland of the ANC. Why do they do this? They do this in order to achieve, I claim, some kind of balance. And I'm not even saying they deliberately and cynically do this. I'm saying that sort of something in their minds... Yeah, well, every story has to have, you know, the two teams have to have their own things. They've got their own things. So Ramaphosa... Exactly. It tells, it creates a narrative, right? Because well, one rugby team is better at kicking and tackling, the and other it, one's better at running. And it also creates the narrative that Ramaphosa is somehow the underdog. And that's what they needed for it to be exciting. But it's so stupid because you had Ramaphosa the reformer against Lamini Zuma the heartland uh, sort of traditionalist. And it was so, like the head versus the heart. The head versus the heart. Mm. And so what you get out of that is in order for Ramaphosa to be elected, you have to have him elected on the back of the most aggressive policy proposals coming out of an ANC conference, expropriation without compensation. I mean, it's the new dawn of socialism, nationalizing the health service in a way that we cannot afford, um, centralizing it to 
uh, ramifying the efforts to nationalize mines or increase the BE portion ownership of mines. I mean, it's just on every major concerning point. The socialists and the race nationalists really get what they want. In order for the reformer to get through, in order to justify this move of getting the reformer through, and that only makes sense if you if you thought about things the way that every newspaper and every radio station was telling you to look read things. But if you looked at the facts, if you looked at the surveys done by Mark Data and by the Institute, what you found was the demand for radical economic transformation was an elite champagne socialist thing, sort of being shared between Vitz and the Westcliff sort of jacaranda gazers. It was not something that was appealing to the heartland of South Africa. 80% of South Africans were basically against radical economic transformation. They either wanted more business-friendly reforms or stay the course. And the support ratios for Ramaphosa against Lamini Zuma were even higher amongst poor black, uneducated rural people yeah. than they were yeah. amongst the elite. So it's like, oh my God, it's just the media was not acting in a way to save the ANC. The media gave the ANC the gun to, to put the bullet in his mouth by and pull the trigger, which would be an Nkosuzana Dlamini Zuma election, which would have split the party and set the country into Catatonia quite quickly. Or with the alternative of not pulling the trigger, but sort of just walking around with a gun in the mouth <laughs> and waiting for someone to tell a silly joke and then we're going to fall over and then do expropriation without compensation. <laughs> and then, you know, like this first is tragedy, then is fast thing. I suppose it's, it's resting on my mind because it's like either way, looking to looking to to destroy our headspace and i think it's because the media believes i think i think most people in the media most of those editors most of those name brand producers and editors i think they really do believe that most black people are inferior and cannot take care of themselves and cannot take their own lives into their own hands and therefore need to be protected, need all of the supererogatory suspicion, need all of the policies that, you know, uh, you know, not only state policies of infantilization, but also a sort of a media space, a conversational space policy of don't treat Musi Maimani as a proper person who's now made a decision in his life, given that his party is you know unhappy with him and he believes his party is shocking and terrible to resign rather deprive him conversationally of any agency he was pushed by a conspiracy and led say that by a think tank because if you don't do this i think these editors really believe that if you weren't to do that then no black person would succeed oh my god the anc might lose power or the race nationalism might even, be broken yes exactly and i then, don't mean think it's about party politics and I then, oh my they, god we actually have to think about things for a change i think their bigotry is so harsh that they think without them putting their fingers on the scale and distorting everything that they can in favor in favor in favor i think they believe without that no one in this country would succeed who doesn't have a white skin and it's bloody it freaks me out, actually. It's been giving me nightmares because the consequences are so perverse. Like, this is such a tragedy. Musi Maimani was a flippin'... He had so much potential. And he's done good stuff. He's campaigned really well. The story, his story is one of tragedy. Yes, That's what tragic. it is. It's someone with great potential who's got all this kind of charisma and base stuff and he turns it into a kind of a hubris. He turns it into a into taking the easy road whenever possible. He turns it into... Uh, a self-centered vanity project his message his campaigning even starts to become less effective it starts to get that air that shine of of inauthenticity mm. and at the end of the day it causes him to fall as as all great tragedies hubris is what brings down the man yeah 
And and that's exactly what happened here. Hubris and a lack of help from outside. I mean, mm. the thing about the thing about Ajax is that he didn't have like a nice younger brother who was like, "Look, dude, before you go start calling yourself a god or trying to compete with him, why don't you just uh, come down to earth? Let's remember that time when you were a kid when you were like, yeah, he didn't your pants. have the loyal. He didn't have the loyal brother type of character. He, yeah. yeah, you know, Oedipus. What Oedipus's problem was that his parents threw him out in the first place. Yes, that's why he didn't know who they were. Yeah. you know, there's always some ignorance that motivates the hubris that's created by the people around you that just aren't willing to tell you the goddamn truth, yeah. which is that you're not everything yeah. and you're not perfect. And some of the bad stuff that's happening in your life is because you made it like that. And, I, I and was, it's up to you to make it better. Yeah, I was in the DA through a lot of Mercy's reign. I actually went campaigning with him when he was still a mayoral candidate for Joburg. Mm. And people did talk about him in hushed tones as, is he the one, the one to save South Africa? Like a messiah. Like a messiah. And no Dude, wonder and the, that, that you this give a guy a messiah disaster. complex. No wonder this turned into a disaster that he led the party <sighs> to this defeat yeah. and this hollowing out and this infighting, which is always a sign when there's massive infighting, it means that the leadership is usually quite weak. And that's a that's a thread that I know that you can see very strongly in sort of monarchies. And yeah, throughout medieval history. And, and dictatorships and stuff like that. But yeah. actually in in you can find it in any organization, it doesn't matter whether it's a company or yeah. it's a political party, yeah. if the leadership is not strong yeah. and not giving direction, yeah. factions appear and they fight each other and the leader becomes an empty, hollow shell. Nicholas, you started out very sick. And now the now truth see, the truth has made you well. Yeah, I'm your cheeks <laughs> look rosier. I think I think I might just fall over in exasperation. <laughs> we better call it now before I fall over. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. Uh, this does come to you from the Institute of Race Relations Studios. If you like what we do, uh, which is to inject uh, classical liberal ideas into the public domain, believing that it's like the nitrous oxide that you put into your engine, that it really makes the body politic run cleaner and faster and and, and, and more dynamic and humanly creative, auspicious way, then SMS uh, 32823 and you'll get a call from one of our Amazonian warriors who will tell you how you can make the world a better place. And, yeah, big ups. We survived another week. Hope you survive many, many more with us. Okay.